When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is used with permission of the Columbia University Press. Hi, I'm Ethan Warren, and you're listening to Pod Thomas Anderson, a nine-part miniseries on the films of Paul Thomas Anderson, brought to you by One Heat Minute Productions. Every week, I'm bringing you excerpts from my book, The Cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha, now available wherever you order your books, as well as insights on Anderson and his work from critics, podcasters, actors, and more. This week I'll be discussing Anderson's ninth and most recent feature, Licorice Pizza, with guests Patrick Willems, Cassidy Olson, and Andrew Overby. All book excerpts are used with permission of Columbia University Press. How long will it take? Paul Thomas Anderson has suggested that the decision to return to the San Fernando Valley to shoot Licorice Pizza was a direct response to straying to London for Phantom Thread. And though he claimed to have tried to talk himself out of telling another story set in 1970s California, he found himself compelled by the narrative material on his hands, largely a compendium of real-life anecdotes from the Hollywood producer and former child actor turned teen entrepreneur Gary Getzman, as well as the material culled from household lore of family and friends. It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair I met the girl on Mary one day. But her mommy is yelling no Daddy has told her to go. Listen, young lady. But her friend is nowhere to be seen. So how'd you become such a hot shot actor? I'm a showman. That's what I'm meant to do. To the seat with the clearest view. Wow, 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 wow. And she's hooked to the silver screen. Do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand, yeah, like sands. Like the ocean, like beaches. Barbara Streisand? No, but Streisand. Sand. But the film is a sad thing for. This is fate that brought us together. But she's lived it ten times or more. Our roads took us here. She could spit in the eyes of fools. They're not my director. They ask her to focus on. Do you really want to see my boobs? Can I touch them? See you tomorrow. It's weird to hang out with Gary and his friends all the time. <laughs> I think it's weird that I hang out with Gary and his 15-year-old friends all the time. I'm not gonna forget you. Just like you're not gonna forget me. Gross.
Quote, just about every single thing has a touch to a factual story that I've heard, Anderson said, but then refined his phrasing to allow for a more ecstatic interpretation. Quote, and by factual, I'd probably put that in quotes as well. End quote. Reteaming with Michael DeLuca, now the head of MGM, with that studio being acquired by tech megalith Amazon during Licorice Pizza's post-production, for the first time since 1999, the duo returned to the site of their earliest collaboration, the Valley of the 1970s. Licorice Pizza tells the episodic, and thus guided more by elliptical and effective narrative rhythms than conventional plot mechanics, story of a volatile 20-something, Alana Kane, played by Alana Heim, and her budding relationship with Gary Valentine, played by Cooper Hoffman, a hyper-motivated teenager who declares that fate has put him on the path to changing one another's destinies. Alana, underemployed and longing for a ticket out of her parents' restrictive Jewish household, surprises herself first by accepting the dinner invitation of this unnaturally self-assured 15-year-old, and then by falling progressively under his spell as they become business partners in a burgeoning waterbed business. The closer they grow, however, the more fraught their connection becomes, edging ever closer to a full-blown transgressive romance, even as Alana seeks the attentions of a fading movie star, Jack Holden, played by Sean Penn in a role transparently based on William Holden, and a rising political star, Joel Wax, played by Benny Safdie in a role openly modeled on the L.A. mayoral candidate of the same name. So... How is Gary, like, setting up and running a waterbed business? Is he... Uh, like, and again, I, you know, I read the, uh, the, the Wikipedia article on the guy that he's based on. And so, yeah, who did all of these things, but I'm still sitting there wondering like, yeah, so how, how does this work? How does a 15 year old set up? Like, how did he get the storefront and, uh, and all of these things? And, and again, the movie, I mean, you could make a whole movie just about any one of these episodes. And I feel like a more traditional movie would go into more detail about like you know how you know it would have more montages about you know okay how he's rounding everything up and uh and you know dealing with you know with the various vendors and things like that and how he's going to raise the money for everything but it just skips over all of that because gary while ostensibly the main character is still a little bit of a mystery uh i feel like in in the way that pta has liked to have a lot of his his major characters uh especially in you know whether like the master or phantom thread and 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 movies like that where you know there's a lot about gary that we don't we we still don't like for a guy who seems like a pretty a very open you know, normal, down-to-earth person, despite his 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 big wacky ideas and his lofty goals. Um, to me, there's a lot that's still kind of mysterious about him, and that I I you know, and and that the movie never really reveals. Uh, and and just and just like like why like how why is he like this? Why how does he get the energy and the confidence to do all of these things and pursue these? insane plans and ideas and and yeah and and the idea that i mean again i think they share probably equal screen time but alana seems like alana is the more normal person here who i uh i i imagine like i we're, we're more in her shoes when we're we're, we're watching gary to, and, and just wondering like how is he putting this together 
Like, like, how does any of this work? I don't, I don't fully under, like, understand it. Like, it shouldn't be possible for a 15-year-old to start a business and then be installing waterbeds in John Peter's house. Like, th this, this is, this is absurd. Like, none of this actually makes sense. And, and the, but no one really questions it in the movie, and, uh, and the movie doesn't bother to explain it, and, and this is the thing that I can also imagine frustrating some people that that, that the movie just kind of confidently skips past those boring things and just says no. This 15-year-old runs this business and now he's going to start another business and now he's going to do all of these things and just go with it because that's the story we're telling. I'm a big fan of Haim. I always had been. Yeah, I love their music and I love Alana and I was, you know, really looking forward to seeing her in this role. I didn't have any expectations about her as an actress. I don't think anyone really did. Uh, any fans uh, of them as, as musicians. Um, but she's a fantastic musician and I was looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, they seem to, the, the Haim sisters have this kind of presence beyond them. Each of them individually has a presence beyond the band. And I think they also have a presence beyond their music which obviously can work to their advantage or their disadvantage. But I think that for Alana and for the role, like it's something that really didn't intersect, even though you literally see all of the sisters and their parents in the film as so, so, you know these kind of versions of themselves. I actually don't think that the Haim brand hurts the film or kind of challenges what we're seeing on screen. I think it's really immersive and funny and it's kind of something that is a fun bit if you're a fan. But I don't think it's distracting at all. And I think it's, you know, adds a fun layer. And also the kind of community feel um, of the film and the fact that, you know, Anderson is using um, so many kind of pieces of his life and, and, and pieces of, of his actual community. I really like Paul Thomas Anderson's music video work in general. I would not myself, I would not call myself a music video scholar. I'm not Sydney. <laughs> I'm not a, a music video scholar in that way. But I think... Um, his, I've, yeah, I think that his work in music videos is, is really ambitious and really kind of something that I always, I think there's so many directors who work, independent filmmakers who do the odd music video and it seems like they kind of are just doing it for the paycheck or they need to be kind of producing in between films. Um, but I think about, frankly, this isn't about Haim, but Paul Thomas Anderson's music video for Anima, like the Tom York short film, is like one of my favorite music videos, you know, that I've ever seen. And his work in, with Haim has been, you know, loads of fun as well. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that he was like, yeah, Alana. And then he just kind of picked that out from her. I wonder what he saw in her. And I'm sure, you know, that's probably been documented. Or he's, he's talked extensively about that. But in my heart, I do wonder, like, just how he's what he saw in her exactly, but obviously it worked. <laughs> and I, I do wonder about her career going forward as well. Like, I do wonder if this is going to be something that she pursues or if this is, you know, a favor she did for the, a friend of the family. Okay, this will surprise no one, but what I really, like no one that knows me, but what I really want to talk about is Benny Safdie. I find that Joel Wax in this movie is essentially an amalgam of the good parts of both of our protagonists. So he is someone that has that salesman-like quality. He has that showmanship, but he also has this sort of human, more empathetic side where he really genuinely wants to connect with people and seems to have a sense of self. And when you look at 
Benny Safdie, who I am, uh, you know, I'm obsessed with both of the Safdie brothers. I think the reason that he's suddenly having this run as a character actor that I believe will continue for a very long time is because he actually embodies those two qualities so amazingly. He's this, you know, very large man. Uh, He's, he has sort of a formidable presence, but he also has these, you know, huge soulful pools of eyes, you know? He's like this very, very soft, welcoming presence at the same time as just in his very being kind of uh, having an assertive quality. And I think that the moment that he enters the movie, he accelerates us towards the end of the movie because in having the good qualities of both Alana and Gary, each of them sees themselves in him and takes something different away. So we we don't see much Gary Joel Wax interaction, but in my opinion, he's looking at Joel Wax going, okay, I've, I've seen this uh, salesmanship before from myself and others, and I'm sort of assuming it to be false and therefore implicitly assuming that these new beliefs that Alana has aren't, aren't genuine, you know? Um, whereas, of course, Alana's looking at him and going, this is exactly the real aching drive to do good that I've been looking for. And from the moment he enters the story, they start to fray. Not that they're ever perfect, but I'm a, a firm believer that his ability to be all things at once to both of them is what causes this this fight in the kitchen where they are, you know, the, for the whole film, they've both been posturing uh, in so many ways, trying to be seen as, as whatever they want to be as opposed to what they are. And... Uh, in meeting someone that doesn't have to posture because they are the real deal, uh, they kind of go into overdrive. Yet after a bevy of men, all of whom seem to emerge from the valleys seems like obstacles along Alana's existential training course prove lacking in Gary's essential qualities, tenacity and kindness chief among them, she surrenders to the inevitable, grants Gary the kiss he has longed for since their first meeting, and runs off with him into the valley's gloaming horizon. With Licorice Pizza, Anderson bucked a number of trends in the typical release cycle for 21st century indie features. He eschewed a festival premiere, even as rumors swirled that the film, then going by the working title Soggy Bottom, might premiere at Cannes, Venice, New York, or Toronto, keeping so tight a lid on the project that as of three months before release, DeLuca was joking that even he knew nothing about his old collaborator's new work. Once the film premiered at a Los Angeles Directors Guild screening three weeks before the Thanksgiving limited release, it became clear that Anderson's veil of secrecy had been motivated largely by a desire to protect his young cast, the majority of whom had never before appeared in a feature film. Quote, why are you trying to ruin this person's life? Anderson jokingly recalled asking himself as he considered casting young unknowns. But this concern was trumped by the production value of unstudied performances, which he determined were essential to the film's naturalism. Quote, an audience isn't bringing any baggage, he said, describing the function of novice performances. Critical response to Licorice Pizza was generally governed by the joy that Anderson aimed for, both in the discovery of emerging screen talent, Justin Chang described the film as, quote, the most ardent love letter from a filmmaker to an actor, in this case Alana Haim, in recent memory, end quote, and the story and setting, 
Dana Stevens suggested, quote, a sense that the story is bubbling directly out of its creator's brain, end quote, and concluded, quote, I'm hard-pressed to think of a recent movie whose world I would have liked to stay in longer, end quote. Okay, so in general, Licorice Pizza, uh, obviously there's very episodic movie, right? And to me, the reason that... I, I have trouble connecting with episodic movies generally because I want to feel that plot thrust. I want to feel like, you know, where's this thing going? What's getting me excited? Uh, the reason this movie so seduces me is because the way in which it's episodic really highlights how I feel like life is a continuing barrage of choices that need to be made. So a lot of movies, you know, and, and even within uh, PTA's filmography, a lot of movies are about a few different choices. Uh, someone makes a really brash choice and it sort of kicks off the movie or their life's on a certain track. And then the big, you know, ending is that they, they, they change that track that they're on. But in Licorice Pizza and in my lived experience, uh, a lot has been made, of course, of like the age gap in this movie. But these two people are both very young. And in your teens and in your 20s, there's this incredible pressure that seems to come from nowhere. It just like uh, blooms up from within where you feel like any choice you make because you are aware that you're in your formative years could have these lasting effects. And they feel way more monumental than they should. So the thing that fascinates me about this movie is that the two leads have very different approaches to that feeling of, of life continually changing and, and making all these different divergences. Uh, Gary, on the one hand, of course, is like, you know, takes this entrepreneurial tact and his way of dealing with change is sort of like, as a businessman, I will continue to adapt. Uh, I'm thriving as an actor now. I'm going to move into selling waterbeds. Like, he's just sort of keeping up with the times in that way. And societally, we think of that kind of as a good quality or society kind of rewards that uh, enterprising young man. But we, the viewer, can see that there is a downside to it, which is that in this sort of showmanship, this car salesman-esque uh, attitude that he has, there is a little bit of tinniness or, or some of it rings false, right? In the in the first scene that he has with Alana, he has that uh, interaction where he says, I like you, I, I like talking to you. And they, they haven't had anything even close to a meaningful conversation. We can see that, that some of that is false. Uh, Alana, on the other hand, has what she considers to be, I think, a, a negative uh quality, which is that she's very self-doubtful. She's very, where should I be in life? You know, uh, shouldn't I be changing in all these ways that I'm not? And while she thinks of that as negative, we are having the opposite experience where we're watching that being like, there's, there's virtue. There's virtue to having perspective on oneself and looking inward. We'll be right back after this quick break. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. 
Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Nostalgia served as a common buzzword among reviews, with critics debating this emotion's function within the story. Quote, Anderson doesn't want to weaponize his nostalgia for nostalgia's sake, David Fear wrote. Quote, so much as use it to infuse a rush of youthful exuberance into what feels like an early 1970s movie made today, end quote. Richard Brody, meanwhile, suggested that the film was actually, quote, without nostalgia, because it is filled with the era's cruelty and indifference, but clear-eyed about the chances for experience that the time and place presented nonetheless, end quote. Taking an alternative track, Peter Bradshaw posited a more insidious raison d'etre behind Anderson's period setting. Quote, backdate your story, and it's easier to explore issues of transgressive love and sex without getting bogged down in 21st century gender politics, end quote. Anderson, for his part, hastened to remind one interviewer, quote, it wasn't that long ago that nostalgia was considered kind of a medical condition, end quote. Critical dissent largely centered around the film's perceived indulgence, whether in the form of its love for Gary, which Manola Dargis described as, quote, as lavish as that of an indulgent parent, blunting the edges and limiting the film's overall effect, end quote, or its lack of traditional narrative propulsion, which left Richard Lawson, quote, wishing for some sense of purpose larger than yet another filmmaker journeying to the past to poeticize the squirm, lust, and ambition of being a teenage boy, end quote. Outside of the critical community, however, Licorice Pizza faced harsher condemnation from the watchdog group Media Action Network for Asian Americans, who objected to two scenes in which a minor character, Jerry Frick, earnestly adopts a cringingly stereotypical Japanese accent, Quote, Asians and faux Asian accents are used as comic relief to encourage audiences to laugh, end quote, read the complaint, with the writers, quote, strongly urging voting members of the Academy and other film critic associations not to reward Anderson, end quote. The director made some ambivalent efforts to mitigate this blowback when pressed by Kyle Buchanan in the New York Times, arguing both, quote, you have to be honest to that time, end quote, and, quote, it would happen right now, by the way, end quote. In a review for The New Republic, Joe Livingstone suggested, echoing Bradshaw, that the Frick scene, quote, starts to feel as if Anderson is taking delight in the deniability of the 1970s setting, and it raises questions about his judgment, end quote. Asked again to explain his thinking three months after the film's release, Anderson offered an evidently exhausted, quote, I don't know, I'm lost when it comes to that. I guess I'm not sure how to separate what my intentions were from how they landed, end quote. With Licorice Pizza, Anderson earned three more opportunities for an Academy Award, netting nominations for Best Original Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Picture, the film's only three nominations, but struck out on each count. Among critics' groups, the film's most decisive victory came from the National Board of Review, which awarded Licorice Pizza Best Film, Best Director, and Best Breakthrough Performance, shared by Hoffman and Heim. I mean, this feels like the obvious thing to say, but... The John Peters section is just 
so incredible. Just just as an isolated sequence. Which one's in charge? Are you? Are you in charge? Yeah, I'm in charge. May I just speak with you for a second? Yeah, sure. Thanks. You can tell your crew to stop. Stop for a sec, guys. Um, so this is what I want to say to you. Um, do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand, yeah, like sands. Like the ocean, like beaches. Barbara Streisand? No, like Streisand. Sand. Streisand. Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. You fucking with me? All right, let's get past that. Hopefully you'll never fucking meet her. She'll fucking, you think I'm bad. So we're going uh, to the movies right now and I'm on my way to pick her up, so I'm gonna leave you here, but um, I wouldn't normally leave somebody in my house when I'm not there, but I have to because you guys are so motherfucking late. I'm sorry, there was no gas. Yeah, well that's an excuse I'm gonna shove your fucking penis hole, man. <sighs> What's your name? Gary. Gary, Gary. How big's your penis hole? It's regular sized. Mm. How would you know? Imagine what that would feel like if I shoved that excuse up there. That would hurt a lot, right? Yeah. But uh, that's what I'd like to do. I'm sorry, I don't want to make you any more late than you already are. You can, you can leave. Look at you, you cocky motherfucker. I like it. When I watch it, I'm, I'm having a great time with the movie, and then suddenly Bradley Cooper arrives, and the whole energy of the thing shifts and and again it, it's the, the thing that i also have to have to like reconcile whenever i watch that i'm, I'm just like this guy was a real person it is, or is a real person he john peters is is he still alive yeah. yeah john peters is still alive and and the idea that you know granted like a lot of characters in this are are either like explicitly real people like john peters are they are inspired by or based on real people to varying extents but john peters john peters like ran a major hollywood studio and just and just and 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 watching how deeply unhinged this man is everything he says to uh to cooper hoffman in like in that initial meeting is is <laughs> is so incredible and by incredible i mean if if a real person said this stuff to me uh immediately upon meeting them i feel like i might like call the police because it's it uh it's horrifying but it's the energy of this sequence it's just it is i mean it, again this this feels the closest that uh that pta has come to to the alfred molina sequence in boogie nights of just the uh, the hilarious danger of the whole thing, like, it is deeply funny while also being extremely stressful because, you know, I believe this man is capable of violence. Uh, he is a, he is a powerful person. Uh, he's a a movie producer who is dating Barbara Streisand, and uh, and he threatens to murder people, uh, with and, and, and it does not seem like a joke. Um, and then you have everything with with the truck, the sequence of Alana having to steer it down the hill in reverse with no gas. It is, uh, that, again, this is an obvious statement. I feel like it, so most people probably agree on this, but that as kind of like a centerpiece of the movie is just, th that is, that is the sequence that I find myself just going back and being like, 
I just want to put that on again. I just want to I just want to watch that like 15 minute chunk because again, it's an episodic movie and of the many episodes that is the highlight to me. Toward the midpoint of Licorice Pizza, an aging Hollywood director by the name of Rex Blau, played by Tom Waits, emerges from the cigarette haze in the bar and grill slash Valley Institution Tale of the Cock. Locking eyes with his one-time leading man, Jack Holden, played by Sean Penn, Rex recognizes a newfound potential in the night air, the chance to restage a famed stunt, and not just that, to restage the act of filming it. I'm going to need three wingback chairs from the bar, Rex slurs to the proprietor. Need a bottle of Everclear? I need plenty of grease from the kitchen, and I want you to meet me on the eighth hole by the sand trap. We're burning daylight. Rex rallies the tail of the cock's staff and patrons and leads them onto the golf course in an eerily backlit parade. A fire is burning in the sand trap, but still Rex shouts, I need some more flames. He raises his hands to summon them and then bellows, can I have some quiet on the set? He turns, his face orange with firelight. Roll sound, he says to nobody. Roll camera A, roll camera B, mark it. And then with a reverent hush, action. Here, in the most inauspicious of places, Anderson mounts a tribute to the auteur's urge to reconfigure the world into a more aesthetically pleasing whole. Rex directs his life because it's the only way he knows how to look at the world, and it's the only way that he wants the world to look. This compulsion to peer at existence through a viewfinder would be familiar to Anderson from as early as age seven when, as the story goes, he wrote in a notebook, quote, I want to be a writer, producer, director, special effects man. I know how to do everything, and I know everything. This same desire to shape the world is shared by any number of Anderson's characters, from the personal reinvention of Dirk Diggler to the epoch-shaping industriousness of Daniel Plainview, but it finds its apotheosis in Gary Valentine, the consummate self-made man, who, like Rex, with whom he briefly crosses paths, directs the world around him. I wrote the dialogue, he repeatedly snaps at his business partner, Alana, while she takes a sales call. You're improvising too much. There are echoes in Gary of another precocious valley voice. I know how to do everything. I know everything. So do it my way. Reviewing Licorice Pizza for Rolling Stone, David Fear suggested that where, quote, Proust had his Madeleines and Sunday mornings at Cambrai, Anderson has his movie cameras, production designers, and the tail of the cock, end quote. There may be tangible movie cameras in Anderson's ninth film, wielded by young filmmakers reminiscent of the director's own one-time makeshift crews, but the more evocative ones may be the invisible cameras that Rex Blau summons as he prepares to direct a late-night motorcycle jump. All the world's a soundstage for the born and bred auteur, and all the men and women merely extras. Rex's mythic cameras, tasked with reconfiguring life into a simulacrum of a movie, itself a simulacrum of life, may as well stand in for the director himself, a cinephilic, nostalgic, and ecstatic eye looking down upon a snow globe world in which the American experiment swirls and churns. You can show me a bunch of quotes, and I believe they exist. I think I've I think I've seen them out there, where Paul Thomas Anderson qualifies the central relationship of this movie in ways that seem flattering. And I'm a I'm a big believer in death of the author. You know, I think that the thing stands on its own. And the reason that this movie resonates so much with me is because I think it's a lot more about is than it is about should. So at the end of the movie, I don't really think that there's meant to be a value judgment put on this relationship, even that it's good or that it's bad or anything. Um, 
I have a habit of, of qualifying everything as like, like viewing everything through an addiction lens, but this movie really reminds me of uh, that feeling when you know you're supposed to make a choice that betters your life and you know what the choice is. You're like, I have to like stop talking to my ex-boyfriend. I have to get sober, you know, things like this. And there's the real difference between like knowing it intellectually and like feeling it in a way where you can do it, you know? And to me, the end of this movie is someone, uh, Alana, moving into this comfortable place of self-doubt and being like, no matter what is good for me, no matter what choice I should be making in this romance, I am aware that I am going to go back to him. Which feels true to life in a way I feel like few movies have have ever shown me. Uh, that, that feeling of going, I know I have to get sober. I also know it's not tonight. I can feel that it's not tonight. I think it's, I'm lucky and I'm happy to speak about Paul Thomas Anderson's, you know, latest film. So I think that's something that's really interesting where he has such a, you know, we say long career. He's made nine films, right? This, this Licorice Pizza is his ninth film. Um, but he has actually had quite a short career and he's made so many kind of very distinct, you know, these 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 kind of assertions as a director over and over and over again. Um, and I think that I've noticed a trend or at least something that I pick up on with a lot of directors from, you know, of his cohort, not that he's of a cohort, but, you know, kind of Gen X making a lot of films, uh, kind of getting their start in the early to late 90s. Um, they're kind of showing their softer side, or at least I notice a bit of that that's sort of softening as they become parents of older children and as they kind of have different relationships to, to people and so much of their early careers, and I'm kind of making broad generalizations, but I think about... I don't know. I mean, I've talked about this in regards to Harmony Corinne making the beach film, which is obviously a very different film, but talking about how do you take the statements of your youth and the kind of transgressive, very aggressive, you know, interest in art as it is and, and the parts of the world that you're interested in as writers and directors, and then how does that fundamentally stay the same, but also kind of soften or change in a way that you lose some of those edges, but that's still there. And I think um, with Licorice Pizza, I think that's something that has been discussed quite a bit and that fundamentally, you know, at the heart of it, it's it's quite sweet and it, it is it is a romantic, you know, warm film about friendship or about love and, you know, that kind of enduring power. But at the same time, it's still against the same backdrop of like <laughs> um, abuses of power and very kind of random acts of kind of violence and aggression and the difficulty of being, you know, in America at this time, but or in general, and there's also just lots of randomness happening. And I think that the two of them find each other, not just despite the randomness, but kind of because of it. And it's it's still that interest in so many of the stories he's been he's been telling throughout his career. But just now with the, the mindset of I know what it is to be an adult, I know what it was to have been a child, and to kind of look at that from this perspective. So I just find that really refreshing, even though I myself am not a parent or I myself am not, you know, have an age that way yet. It's really, I really love to see that kind of progression. And then sometimes it doesn't always go that way. And I'm sure that, you know, his career will continue to evolve uh, and hopefully the decades to come. But just even just seeing like a, a 20, 25 year period has been been fascinating. And I, he is one of a kind, but I do kind of love to compare him and see where he's going with everyone else. 
obviously there was so much like raw talent there right at the beginning and but also early on and i don't think this is a bad thing because for instance like boogie nights is still like high up up like close to my favorite thing he's ever done but also his his influences were were very clear he was like wearing them on his sleeve like you would tell like what he was aspiring to what other movies he, he loved and as as he went on the influences i feel like became more digested and less obvious and it's not even that he built like a really distinctive style you know you're not pointing to you know to the master and being like oh there's the pta shot that he does there's there's none of that stuff but it's he he kind as he went on it's and and you obviously have the kind of transition point where like punch drunk love seems like the kind of the the beginning of of, of a shift into into this new era and uh and it, it it's it's a thing where, where clearly he demonstrated with the early movies that he has like total command of the craft of storytelling. He can, he can, he can give you the the big, ambitious, visually exciting, uh, satisfying narrative, um, while, while juggling all of these characters. He can do all of this stuff. He can, he can basically, you know, he has he has his. Uh, his huge, uh, like, towering influences and can basically match them. And then he decided to evolve and do something that is harder to pin down. Um, but that... And I, and I don't want to say, oh, he's a great filmmaker, because every movie, you know, looks great and deserves to be, like, studied but it, but it is this thing where especially like like with all of his movies they are you know almost all yeah practically all of them are built on this continued dynamic of 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 two central characters who are you know in with, with a, a tension between them in some way and these characters just like time and time again are are so hard to pin down and have so much going on and feel so alive that as the movies became for lack of a better word more difficult the thing that that remained is 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 having basically like 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 some of the greatest modern movie characters like at like front and center in all of these movies like above all else i think his greatest skill is just creating these protagonists who you you really can't look away from and 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 that even if you don't entirely get like everything else in the movie or you're 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 stuck on aspects of them or you're just like what does this this mean i don't really i i don't really like yeah i might not on first viewing like fully grasp what the movie is saying what 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 the, what the ending might mean it might take some weird shifts it is i feel like that that powers all of these movies uh and and that i think i, I think that's his greatest skill it's 
uh, you know, you, you look at There'll Be Blood and, and The Master and Punch Drunk Love and Licorice Pizza, Phantom Thread. And it is these characters and these relationships that those are the things that I feel like we all can't get out of our heads. That uh, those are the things that we keep coming back to, and and all of his like his incredible sense of craft, uh, his his technical skill, uh, like all all of it is in service of in in almost every one of these cases, just two amazing central characters, and and this this relationship that we can't stop thinking about, and um, and and that's the thing when a new PTA movie comes out. A big part of me is just like, I can't wait to meet whoever these new couple of characters are, because I I bet they are going to be people that I will be thinking about for years. And so we come to the end of the line, the most recent Paul Thomas Anderson film. Where could he go from here? Some might see returning to the Valley of the 70s as a sort of full circle moment, but I prefer to see the journey to Licorice Pizza as something like a spiral. In some respects, PTA has returned to where he once was, but in other more meaningful ways, that journey has seen him ascend to a new plane as a filmmaker, one who has taken aspects of every film he made along the way and brought them together into an oddball cinematic cocktail that can't really be compared with anything else, not even Boogie Nights. I want to thank you for taking this nine-episode journey with me and my esteemed guests as we look back on an extraordinary career to date. Paul Thomas Anderson has made only nine movies in just about 25 years, but it's a filmography of incredibly sustained ambition and quality. There is no telling where the next 25 years might take him, but I'm thrilled to be along for the ride, and after nine episodes, I suspect you are too. And with that, let's take hands and run off into the valley's horizon. It's a freaky When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.